I want to say a huge welcome to everybody who's in uh, overflow in the lobby. Don't like that you have to experience church from out there. We're working toward uh, solutions, but grateful uh, that you're all in on this moment of worship with us and feel so confident that God has something so specific to speak into people's lives today. I don't know why, but all morning I have felt like I don't need to just jump into this sermon and end this series without us having a moment to speak to somebody in the room who is close to that place of burnout in their faith. And when Alex talks about uh, what happened to him in 2010, I'll just say I've had moments where I've seen symptoms of something similar in my own life. And the only reminder that gets to the core of that issue is this. And I wrote this down this morning for somebody in the room. You might want to write it down. It has nothing to do with dating or marriage or anything. And everything has to do with dating and marriage. But God didn't send Jesus because he needed more workers. God sent Jesus because he wanted sons and daughters. God didn't send Jesus because he needed more workers. God sent Jesus because his desire was that we would become sons and daughters of God. And there's some of you in this room who have flipped the two. And maybe it's just me in the room, but way too often I relate to God on the basis of what he's called me to do for him instead of on the basis of who he's called me to be as his child. Your work for God is God's gift to you, not God's obligation for you. And if it's not being experienced as a gift, let me just remind you that God is very good at doing what God does, and he could so easily do it without you. He gives you a role in his kingdom because he loves you. But don't flip the two and turn yourself into a worker for the kingdom of God before you're a loved son or daughter who knows that they have been brought into the kingdom of light by a perfect father. God loves you so much. And if you're on the edge of burnout today, I hope and pray that maybe the numbness in your soul that happens when that starts to set in would be broken by this reality. God wants to love you first and foremost today. And so whoever that's for, take that for what it's worth. Now we're going to finish our series on marriage and dating called Love That Last. Has this series been helpful for anybody in the room? I hope and pray that there are stories of life change coming out of this series. I've heard just a few of them, but if you're just joining us, you're joining us at the back end, at the very end of this conversation. And the purpose of this has been to connect the love of God to our love story in whatever season we are in. So if you're single, this series is for you. If you're dating, if you're engaged, if you're married and been married for a while, if you're divorced, if you're widowed, if you find yourself in a season that's just like, I don't even know where I am on the map of everything that's happening around me in this area, fine. Here's what we're trying to do. God loves you so much, and when you surrender to his love in and through your life, it touches and impacts every area, especially the area of romantic love. And I had this dangerous tendency, especially as a teenager, of taking this area of my life and removing it from the umbrella of Jesus's authority in my life without even knowing it. It was like, Jesus, I give you everything, but I had no intention of really consulting what Jesus was going to think about my decisions in dating relationships and my decisions sexually and my... Uh, 
roadmap that I was walking on toward the future. And so what I want to do in this series is just go wherever you are right now, however long you've been married, however much you want to get married, wherever you find yourself, what does it look like for the love of God to invade every single area of your life? Because I love marriage advice and I love dating advice, but it is limited and absolutely not effective for anyone who's not surrendered to the love of God. It's not. So like Tuesday night, my wife and I were on this stage taking questions from hundreds of our college students. And it was funny and it was interesting. My wife stepped up here so confident on Tuesday night. I wish everybody in the room could hear it. And you're like, so do we. Why didn't you record it? Because my wife and I wanted to be point blank honest with our college students. And if we were recording it, we would have curbed a lot of the things that we've said that we said. And we did not. (laughs) And it was it it was it was a Great conversation, but one of the things that was frustrating me was even the underlying problem of a lot of the questions was that just the fact that you're asking that question shows that something's off with your heart. You can get all the marriage advice in the world. You can read all the marriage books. You can go to all the conferences. You can consult all these older, wiser advisors in your life and ask them for dating advice. You can do everything by the book. But at the end of the day, if your heart is not surrendered to Jesus to the degree that he has full permission to dictate your life and your steps and your decisions, that conversation isn't really going to matter. You're still going to do your own thing, and you're still going to end up at the end of a pathway of decisions that looks like regret, that looks like brokenness, that looks like if I had that to do over again, I would have done it differently. I don't know if you would have. The only way you would and could do it differently is if Jesus is the one who's writing the story instead of you. So that's what this whole series has been about. It's been less about getting into every single season and addressing advice and more about big picture. Does Jesus have control over this area? So I want to ask you this question at the end of this series. Are you surrendered to the love of God in this area? Are you fully turning this one over to God? And don't answer that based on what you want to answer, being hopefully yes, you have to answer that on the basis of the decisions that you are making. I, I can remember having a mentor in my life. I was going through a breakup. I went through several breakups with girls that I thought I wanted to marry. And thank you, God, for breakups, because breakups are the pathway to God's ultimate blessing sometimes, but only when you turn them over to God, not when you say that you broke up, but you're really still secretly texting and meeting up and doing all these things that, well, I don't know. You don't know what I'm talking about. But um, I was like surrendering, but not really. And so I had a mentor in my life who would come up to me and he would go, where are we today on the whole surrender scale? Because he knew that for a long time I was doing this. And then I said I was doing this. And he was like, really, you're about here. And what I want to do is over time, check on you and see what is it going to take for you to go, you know what, Jesus, you can have this. You know what, Jesus, you can have my marriage. You know what? I'm tired of trying to manipulate and maneuver this my way. Are you surrendered? And we're going to have a clarifying conversation to end this sermon series. This is going to be so fun. The final installment of Love That Lasts is called The Ultimate DTR. The Ultimate DTR. Look at somebody next to you and say, let's do this. Let's do this. Or not. You know, that's what a DTR is all about. Okay. I've had mixed reviews about the lettering DTR. How many of you in this room know what those three letters mean? Like legitimately right now. Oh, wow. See, it's like 50%. Oh my gosh. I feel so old. Okay. Um, A DTR 
is called Define the Relationship. It's a conversation that you have over the course of the roadmap called dating, which now older adults in the room, you need to know they are continuing to add steps to dating that we don't even understand. Dating does not begin with a conversation in today's day. It begins with a DM. And that stands for direct messaging. I'm just telling you how 90% of relationships are beginning. So you start in the DMs and then you make this huge step. You transition to text messages where you literally have the numeric code of the other person's phone number and you can communicate with them one-on-one without having to get stuck on red. And, um, and, and, and now, depending on whether or not they do the whole red thing or delivered thing, adults, I'll translate all of this at a later gathering. But, but then you transition from texting to talking. And I didn't know that talking wasn't like a given in a relationship, but that's a big step. It's like, we're talking, we're talking, it's a thing. And now, you know what they've done in the last five years? Dating people have added another step between talking and dating. It's now called hanging out. Like, what are y'all doing? Oh, we're hanging out. I'm like, I hang out with people all the time. I don't understand how you guys are doing things that I don't do when I hang out with people. So uh, we need to clarify what is hanging out. We're hanging out, and then you take the bold step. You're like, so they date. No, they make it Instagram official. And then all their friends know, okay, wow, they're going public with this. This is happening. They're not just hanging out. They're not just messing around. They're dating. And at some point in all of this madness, there's this expectation that we're going to communicate with clarity where we are in the relationship. A DTR is when things have been unclear for a while. It's when expectations haven't been communicated. It's when you haven't really sat down and said, here's how I feel and here's where I see us going. Can I just say to every young man in the room, please lead. Please be the one who takes the step to go, hey, let's talk about where we are. Even if you don't know. Think about me having that conversation with Alex Muncie. It's okay to go, I don't know the answer to this question, but I can tell you to the most accurate degree where my feelings are right now. But the purpose of a DTR is when two people are kind of wondering, what's the other person thinking? And we need to sit down and actually hash this thing out. The purpose is clarity. Now, we're not going to talk about a DTR for all the married couples in the room or all the single people who want to be dating or all the people in serious relationships or all the engaged people in the room. I'm not talking about a DTR with your significant other. I want us as a church to have a DTR with Jesus today. That's the vision of the end of this series. I think most, if not all, of the relational troubles that exist in this room actually exist because we have unclear expectations and unclear guidelines to go by in our one-on-one relationship with Jesus. We've never actually defined what it looks like to be wholly surrendered to Jesus living on the inside of you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so relational issues pop up and we try to solve them one at a time, not solving the root problem. The only problem with that, we're going to put this on the screen, is this. Most relational issues are foundational issues. Most relational issues are actually foundational issues. What I mean by that is that we have this tendency of trying to fix what's on the surface, and as long as the foundation is the problem, what's on the surface isn't going to matter. 
So you think about this with a house. Every house is built on a foundation, and it's great to fix your windows. It's great to paint the exterior of your house. It's great to fix things up, but if you've ever watched Fixer Upper before, you know this. When Chip and Joanna have a problem, Fixer Upper was the background of my life for about five years. Never really got into it, but I just felt like it was always on in my head and in my life. Something was happening. If you've watched Fixer Upper, you know this. They can pretty much do anything, but there's a moment where they go, oh no, and it's always when there's a problem with the foundation of the house. And they go, okay, we need to call because this is going to cost money. We got to stop. This is going to take time. Why? Because they can pretty much demo and fix up anything. But if there's a foundational problem, you pretty much have to start over. And I want to talk to some of your relationships today, some of your marriages today, and say, you've been trying to adjust the windows when you've had a problem at the foundation the entire time. You've been trying to fix up your dating strategies when you actually have never truly decided to follow Jesus. And so we can't just fix the relational issues that are showing that are definitely the symptoms of the root problem, which is you and Jesus haven't really had the DTR moment. And you never really, I think, out loud said, this is what it looks like for me to give everything to Jesus and build this on a firm foundation. Behavior modification will not work. Just adjusting your strategy for how to do things, it will make things seem better for a little while. Think of somebody with with a really, really, really severe disease taking Dimetap to be able to breathe better. You're like well, you've got this disease that's killing you, but that'll help you breathe better as you go to sleep at night. That's what a lot of us are settling for with relational advice. It's like, I got this problem that I really truly need to be addressed, but I'll just modify a few behaviors. And the tension I want you to feel in this room is that the problem in our marriages and really the problem in our dating relationships is that we're still undecided about whether or not Jesus has the authority to lead the way. We're firmly decided about Savior, because who else is going to save you from your sins, rise from the dead, and give you eternal life in heaven? I mean, honestly, uh, hey, when I started preaching, I was like, this is the easiest thing in the world, 14, thinking I knew everything. This is the easiest thing in the world. All you have to do is continually tell people that no one else has anything to offer, and Jesus has everything. This is so skewed in his direction. Like, how can you not see that? This is so clear. This is amazing. But... What happens is it's so easy to go, okay, you're Savior. You offer me forgiveness. You offer me a right relationship with my Heavenly Father. But Jesus used the word Lord about himself way more often than he used the word Savior. And to be Lord means authority. To be Lord means he has the capacity to tell you this is what we are doing. And I believe today that the foundation of your love life needs to be Jesus as Lord. And a large percentage of this room in the lobby right now are still undecided. You would say out loud, Jesus is my Lord, but your decisions don't lie. You're still undecided. So we're going to give you a moment at the end of Jesus' greatest sermon he ever preached where he pretty much removes the option to remain undecided and he talks about the foundation of our lives. If you brought your Bible, hold it up all over this room and hold it up in the lobby out there. Hold it up. Okay. I did this at the seven last week and 90% of the room was single. So I just want to see at the nine. If you are unavailable, like, like you are not single, put your Bible down. Just want to take... Oh, man. All right, y'all look around. Five seconds, shame-free. This is big. Now, my wife, hold them up high. My wife made a comment that the Bible drill is only limited in its ability to help because we're not doing, like, 
opportunities for people to actually meet. This is not a moment where you can start a relationship. So there's going to be a mixer immediately following this service by the Grace Truth Wall. You think I'm joking. Grace Truth Wall right by the coffee. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. I would love for the story of your marriage, the beginnings, the foundations to be in love that lasts. That's what it's all about. We want a love that's going to go further than what the world has to offer. What better way to find it than right here at church at the 9 a.m. gathering? Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. This is the end of the Sermon on the Mount. The Gospel of Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And the theme of Matthew is the kingdom of God. It's all about what are the norms of walking and living in the kingdom of God where Jesus is king. And so pretty much the Sermon on the Mount is where Jesus translates the Old Testament law into what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. And if you think he says, yeah, the law doesn't matter anymore. I came to save you and forgive you. You would be wrong. He basically says, hey, you've heard the law say, do not murder, but I say, don't be angry in your heart at another person. If you've had anger take root in your heart, you've really committed murder before God. You've heard it say, don't commit adultery, but I say, if you've lusted after a woman in your heart, you pretty much committed adultery as well. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say, turn the other cheek. You've heard, I mean, he is like upping the law, and he says, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. And, and, and I think there's a part of us that goes, yeah, Jesus fulfilled the law for us so that we could just do whatever we want all the time and accept grace. This is both Jesus saying, you can't do this without me, and Jesus giving you an invitation for what it looks like to live on the inside of your life. This is not Jesus going, hey, just ignore what I said, especially when you consider what you are about to read. Think of this, the greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus has literally covered 15 to 20 topics in depth, showed us how to live the Christian life, and now he's getting to the end. What do you do at the end of every great sermon? According to Jesus, you need to tell people what to do with all of this information. That's why I try at the end of every sermon to give you some sort of, this is what I want you to do with all that. I don't want that to just be an inspirational moment where I said some good things and where we taught some scripture. You have to tell people, this is what I want you to do with this. So Jesus's conclusion, his points, if you will, are Matthew chapter seven, verses 24 through 29. If you're there, say I'm there. Here's what the word of God says. Therefore, in light of everything I've said so far, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. We're going to come back to that. What Jesus is doing at the end of his sermon is he goes, okay, you've heard everything I've said. Here's your practical implication. Some of you are going to leave here and take what I said and hear it, and you're going to do something with it. And just know, when you do something with my words, you are doing more than obeying a set of rules and restrictions. You're actually building a life, and you're building a life that is rooted in a rock-solid foundation. So he does this illustration, this metaphor, and he says, there's two houses 
Okay, one house built on the rock is going to stand through the storm, but the person in the room, the per- they're not in a the room, they're on a mountainside, the person out here who is just attending and wants to hear what I have to say, but you have no intention of actually working out the word that was just spoken to you. You're like a foolish man who builds this huge house on sand, and it's fine for a little while, but then ultimately when it gets shaken by the winds and the storm and the rain, that house falls and it It is tragic because it falls with a great crash. Now, Jesus is not specifically talking about marriage or dating here, but I think the implications are the same. You build your life, you build your love story rooted in obedience with Jesus, what, in obedience to Jesus. What you are doing is building it on a rock that will stand over time. Now, now, everybody look up here. Don't miss this. What's this series called? Love that lasts. You want to know why I called this series Love That Lasts? Because you can only find that in Jesus. The love that this world has to offer will always be a temporary love that will run out. It will fade. So you hear the world talk about marriage, and they talk about it with so much fear because they've seen in their parents, they've seen in the past, and they've seen in their own life, love fades. Emotions fade. Lust fades. Infatuation fades. And what our world is not ready for is what to do when the feelings no longer look like a rom-com. You need to know this side of heaven in a real relationship, married married people in the room, please amen this, in a married relationship, the feelings will fade. The emotions will not always be coupled the way they were when you started dating, the way they were on the honeymoon. It'll be a process because every great relationship is a process. But there's a difference between the way God defines love and the world defines love. In Greek, there were so many different words for love. The word for romantic love in Greek is the word eros. And it's, it's the way they would talk about things like sexual passion. It's the way they would talk about the beginning of a relationship when somebody's just so excited that the other person has feelings for them. It's this, it's this feeling, and it's something that is so strong and so powerful, it causes people to do the craziest things. But Greek also has a word for love when it's associated with the God of the Bible, and it's the word agape. And agape has some similarities with eros, but also finds its fulfillment in God not in feeling. And so agape love is the love described in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy. It does not boast. It is long-suffering. It endures. Love never fails. But you need to know that promise was not the type of love that's a feeling that gets you crazy about a person for a little while or makes you feel like you somehow found your fulfillment in a relationship this side of heaven. It's a love that looks like the God of the universe empowering you from within to survive seasons, to survive difficulties. Because here's the thing about the house on sand and the house on the rock. They're the same as long as the weather's good. Think about that. There's no difference. It's sunny outside. You're like, it doesn't matter. This one's built on rock. This one's built on sand. They look exactly the same. They're both fine. They're both good. Okay, yes. But after a certain amount of time, there's going to be a collection of circumstances that come down and crash against that house and crash against that life. And depending on what it is rooted in and depending on what it is founded upon will be the degree to which that love either sustains or that love fades. And I want to challenge you today, please do not build your love story on your love for another human being. I'm not saying Eros doesn't have a place. It does. There should be passion in a married relationship. 
There should be dating relationships that look like you are going crazy. You're staying up all night and you cannot stop thinking about this person. God put that there. That's awesome. God's not anti-feeling. God just wants you to know you need to feel a level of safety in your relationship with him to know those feelings are not the foundation. Those feelings are the decorations. The foundation is the love of Jesus. Do not build your love life on anything other than God's love for you. And so everybody in the room is like, I don't want to. Tell me how to build a love that lasts. Even if you're married in the room and you've been married for multiple decades, don't tune me out because it's not too late. The problem with the house built on sand wasn't that they needed to go fix the foundation. It was that they needed to leave that house and build another one. And I'm not saying you need to leave your marriage and start another one. Do not even go there for a second. I'm saying it's possible for you and your spouse to leave the foundation that you built poorly and start a new one right where you are right now, even with no kids in the home, even when you feel like it's over. But how? How do you do it? How do you build your love life on the love of God? So practical. You ready? Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. You don't build your love life on the love of Jesus by singing the song, sinking deep 10,000 times. You don't build your love life on the love of Jesus through learning how to stir affections more often. You build your love life on the love of Jesus by learning to couple love with obedience. He who hears these words of mine and does what? Puts them into practice. And so, real talk, DTR with Jesus. You ready? Jesus never made obedience optional to following him. We did. And it's what's causing so many of the relational issues in this room. See, Jesus is different than, than your dating relationships, than your marriage, because remember the progression I talked about at the beginning? That over time, you build trust. Over time, it's like, okay, we're talking, hanging out, we're dating. Now we're engaged. Now we're married. It's like process. Jesus doesn't do that. You show up day one with Jesus. He's like, all or nothing. I'm all in. What about you? And you're like, well, I need more of an explanation. I can't give you one. You got to come follow me. Now, Jesus is not doing that. Just to eliminate half-hearted people, you want to know why, why Jesus is doing that? It's huge. It's because Jesus didn't come to build a following. He came to build a family. If you're going to have a relationship with Jesus, you have to be in the family. And if you're in the family, you're all in. And if you can't be all in, you can't be in at all. So if he's come to usher in your adoption for God to be your heavenly father, he cannot give you the option of not obeying God. It's like... Either you're all in or, or you're not. And so if you're going to come follow me, you're actually going to have to literally come follow me. Or maybe you need to rethink this relationship and whether or not you've actually entered into it. Because we use words in Christianity like discipleship. And a lot of people, especially at this church, who are new to church, don't understand it. You're like, what does it mean, discipleship? Here's what discipleship means, defined in like normal terms. Learning to live in the new family of Jesus. That's what discipleship means. Because you've been adopted by God. So what you're having to transition from is the family you came from into the family that you now call home. And every family has norms. And every norms are dictated by a good father. 
And so now God the Father's going, hey, we don't live the way you used to live. We don't talk like that. We don't think like that. We don't go down that road. And your transition is called sanctification, where you're learning to be the new man, the new woman who walks in the kingdom of God as a child of God over time. But walking in the new family of Jesus provides, or I would say mandates, deep foundational work. If your foundation is off, it's going to take deep work to do a deep transition. Here's how that happens. The word of God. Did you notice what Jesus said? He who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. The Bible was never, ever intended to be a nice set of resources telling us how we might should live our lives. The Bible is the book that reads us and changes us from within because it's the living and active word of God. Who's the word of God? Jesus. So this is not study. This is not like I just need to learn more about God. This is how Jesus has a relationship with us, talking to us, and he's living and active. And do you know what he wants to go and do on the inside of your life? He wants to get to the deepest wound in your heart and go, let me bring healing. Here's how he does it. Watch this. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. You don't got to turn there. I just want to read it. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. When you have a Christian, you have somebody who takes the word of God and allows the word of God to get deep within them and heal things that need to be healed and take out things that need to be taken out and implement things that should have been implemented a long time ago. And what happens over time is you're getting somebody who has built their life and their love story on a firm foundation called the love of Jesus. But you cannot have the love of Jesus if you don't accept him at his word and commit to obedience. So when Jesus says, come into my family, I paid it all for you to come walk into this family. In the United States of America, we've gotten so good at focusing on eternity that we're almost shoving people into saying yes to that without the DTR. Like, I want to get you face-to-face with Jesus, but I want you to hear him say loud and clear, if you are not ready to surrender everything, you're not ready for me. And if that, if that sounds like a Jesus that you're like, see, I don't like that Jesus. No offense at all. You haven't read about the real Jesus because he said stuff like that all the time. Like he was crazy. Like you're not worthy of me. Sell everything. Nope. Cool. I'm moving on. Like, and he's not doing that to be mean. He's not doing that to be divisive. Like I said, he's doing it because he knows for you to actually walk in his family, you got to be all in. Now, there's a group of you who have never decided to go all in with Jesus, who you need this sermon really, really bad. But there's a group of you who you're like, oh, you kind of got me wondering. I've, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time, or at least I thought I did. But man, this sermon is messing with me. Good. Here's how I want it to mess with you. I want you to think about the disciples for a second. When Jesus said, come follow me, and they dropped their nets, that was an awesome moment. But there were countless moments over the course of their journey where they didn't even know it, but in their heart, they retook control of some things, and you only saw it come out when Jesus did something that was contrary to their expectations. And so it began with full trust. It began with drop everything. It began with whatever you want, Lord. And then when Jesus would do something like hug babies, and they were like, we're not, we're too important for this. And Jesus would go, no, this is what we're doing. And when Jesus would do things like, hey, we're not like letting them go. We're going to keep them here and you're going to feed them. And when Jesus would do things like, hey, I'm actually going away and you're going to be filled with the spirit. They're human beings like us. They're going, 
no, stop doing that. Like, stop doing this different than what I had in mind. And so your original surrender continues to pop up with this overwhelming sinful tendency. This is the foundation of all of your sin struggles, is that you grab control, you grab authority over your life again, and you remove the lordship of Jesus. And what you and I need to learn how to do is notice when that happens and go, okay, it's yours again. It's yours. I'm not sure if we understand at a basic level what it means to follow Jesus. And so it doesn't matter how much advice we give, and it doesn't matter how good we get at dating and marriage. What matters is how surrendered we are to Jesus. And I'll just tell you straight up, Tuesday night was so much fun for me and Courtney to be up here. It was so much fun to answer a bunch of questions. It's been cool to hear stories of marriages being restored and and questions coming up in our community. It's awesome. One of the most discouraging things about Tuesday night was just the nature of some of the questions. I was like, I could answer that. But just the fact that you're asking that question reveals that you have a foundation problem. Just the fact that you're, well, is it okay to date him? He's like Catholic, but he like said he loved God. I can answer that. You're not going to like it. But uh, by the way, if you're a Catholic, we love you. My whole family's Roman Catholic from uh, like Pennsylvania and all about it. It's, it's, it's an awesome tradition. But a lot has gone wrong over the course of the last 500 years. And so um, <laughs> I'm just trying to be honest. Um, what was I talking about? Oh, yeah, the girl dating the Catholic guy. And uh, it's like, you're wondering that? Uh, listen, I don't think your problem is you need dating advice. I think the problem is, uh, have you ever talked to Jesus about what it looks like to hand over everything and like give him permission to build the foundation of your life through obedience? And some of us need to do that again, and some of us need to do that for the first time. This is DTR day. Is this good? Is this helping anybody? Okay, I got two points, and then we're out of here. You can go to brunch. Here we go. The ultimate DTR. This is going to hurt. Jesus is saying, I believe, two things in a DTR. He's got two points. Number one is this. Submit to the authority of the word of God. Submit to the authority of the word of God. Not in a traditionalist sense where we say the Bible has the ultimate authority for faith in life. It does. We believe the Bible's inerrant. It's infallible. Yes, yes, yes. But too many of us have gotten good at holding up the Bible as a statement of beliefs But the Bible doesn't actually dictate our behavior. And so the Bible has authority over your life, not because you wrote that down on a sheet of paper or because you said that out loud. The Bible has authority over your life because you don't come to the word of God with an option of not doing what God says. You come to the word of God ready for the Bible to read you like a book and say, you have to change this. You have to adjust this. No, you can't go down that road. No, God is calling you this way. And you have to maintain that open heart over the course of a lifetime. And my tendency, just like many of you, is to not even notice it and take back ownership again. And it's our ability to notice in those moments, when are we grabbing ownership of the story once more? And when do we need to make sure we resubmit this to God? This is going to pop up for all the single people in the room over and over and over again. Because a lot of your story moving forward is unknown. You're going to unknowingly make expectations of Jesus that he never promised you. What I'm going to tell you you need to do from here, this is going to be so hard, but make it your daily endeavor to conform to the ways of God in Scripture and only commit yourself to the expectations that God has given you for how you're supposed to live your life. And I promise you following Jesus is worth it. 
He's not going to tell you what date you're getting married. He's not going to give you just like this picture in your mind of going, hey, it's going to look exactly like this. What he is going to say is, trust me, keep walking, keep stepping. What does it mean to walk and follow Jesus? This is not a theoretical vision that we had one time in a spiritual moment. This is a literal daily walk of letting the word of God get deep within us and change us from the inside out. For all the dating people, you've got to continue to let the word of God have the authority. I love that word authority, the ability to tell you what to do. And we got a whole generation rising up who resist authority to no end. I don't want, I don't want to be told what to do. I don't want to be told what to do. Well, did you notice what Matthew said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount about authority? This is beautiful. Watch this, verse 28. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. Teachers of the law didn't teach with authority. They taught with a to-do list. You want to know why Jesus taught with authority? Because he was under authority. Jesus taught with authority because he was aware of his position and submission to his father. What does Jesus say about his dad? He says, I don't, actually don't have anything to say to anybody. My father gives me my words and I just speak them out. Every moment submitted. So what Jesus did is he learned how to delight underneath the authority of his father and he found who he really was in that submission. Authority is not something to run from. It's something to run toward. Why? Because maximum freedom is actually found under God's authority. You will like your life better. You will delight in your dating relationship more. You will actually find more joy doing this God's way than you will your own way. Because at the end of the day, God's not giving you rules and restriction because he feels like telling you what to do. God's giving you a roadmap for how to live your life because he created you and knows how it works best and he loves his kids. He loves his sons and daughters. He's tired of seeing you broken and lonely. He's tired of seeing you waking up the next morning ashamed. He's tired of seeing you addicted. He's tired of letting all of these things take root in your life, but he can't root them out if he's not allowed in. And so I've got to go, God, your word has the authority to tell me how to live my life. For an engaged couple in the room, I believe taking the time to talk through how is the word of God going to shape our oncoming or incoming union that is coming up moving forward? How do we make sure that we don't ever end up in a season of marriage long down the road where the word of God is just collecting dust on the shelf and we are compiling issue upon issue upon issue? I haven't done a ton of marriage counseling with uh, couples over the course of many years, because I'm not that experienced, and I honestly am learning. I'm eight years in myself. But one of the things that I have heard from marriages that have gone decades of letting issues build up and build up to the point where maybe the kids move away, and then they go, hey, we don't really have a connection. What I found to be a constant theme in those conversations is that those individuals, it's not just that they weren't cultivating a connection one-on-one with like date nights and intentionality. They weren't cultivating a connection one-on-one with their Bible, Remember, foundation. We think we can fix it with more date nights. I think we can fix it with more Jesus because Jesus will make you better on that date night. Jesus will make you a better husband. He'll make you a better wife, but you gotta be submitted to his word over time. So we wanna submit to the authority of the word of God, all of it. 
Now, the Bible, you got to learn how to maneuver the Bible because there's some stuff you're like, all of it, really? Have you read Leviticus? Like, come on. You got to learn what in the law is something that was pointed to the people of Israel and something that Jesus finished on the cross and what is something that Jesus fulfilled with his life and what is something that's a moral law that Jesus continues to unload for our lives. The Sermon on the Mount is a great place to begin. But I've heard, I've heard it said in our community, there's a lot uh, happening in the community since our Grace Truth series. And I think we've been able to help a lot of people. People. And I heard a comment the other night that made me very uncomfortable. Somebody said, well, I, I do trust the scriptures, but I, I trust the red letters more than anything else. Red, some of y'all are like, I don't have a Bible. Tell me what that means. It's when Jesus talks, the letters are red in our Bibles, most of them. That's very dangerous. Because just by saying that, you're disagreeing with the one who said the red letters. You know that, right? Because like when Jesus quoted the Old Testament, he said... This is what God says. He didn't say this is what Moses wrote. Jesus considered the Old Testament breathed and spoken by God. So you're disagreeing with him by only agreeing with what he says. We let all of scripture speak to us. And we let the authority of the word of God interpreted in real time shape us as men and women, sons and daughters who love God. So when you have a DTR with Jesus, he's going, first thing I need you to know, do you trust what I say? Does it have authority to change your mind and heart? I'll tell you this, dating couples who are evaluating, this will be the last thing about point number one. One of the things that attracted me the most to Courtney when we were dating was, was, was this. She said from a very young age that she wanted to be ruthlessly biblical. Love that. She was like, if I'm doing something that's disobedient to God and I see in the Bible something that is contrary, I'm going to adjust my behavior. I just am. Because the Bible has that kind of authority over me. Guys, you get a girl who talks like that. I promise you, you'll be so grateful down the road. I love it that she's like, I know I'm going to disobey God. I just know when the word of God reads me on the inside, I obedience is not a choice. We have a lot of Christians at Auburn Community Church who sit here on Sundays or sit in their own times with God. And the word of God flies right in the face of their behavior. And they go, ah, I'm still going to do my own thing. It's not that your struggling was the problem. It was that. It was that your foundation's being built on sand because you're not totally submitted. You're not totally underneath the authority, and so you're not walking in freedom. So that's number one. Submit to the authority of the word of God. Somebody say authority. Number two, surrender to the approval of your heavenly father. Surrender to the approval of your heavenly father. You, you can't have one without two or two without one. So if all you're hearing from me today is we need to do what the Bible says, no, no, no. You do what the Bible says out of the joy of being made into a child of God. So if you're not letting the approval of your heavenly father heal you from within, don't waste your time trying harder on obedience. Obedience is our grateful response to being accepted by God, not our effort to hope that one day God accepts us. And the most common relational issues that come up again and again and again at the most deep foundational level are father wounds. You get somebody who never got from dad what they needed to get. What you have is something that so clearly reveals the image of God. God made us to need the approval of a father. And whether you got it from your earthly father or not, it doesn't really change the need that exists on the inside of your heart to get it from God. Here's the mistake that so many couples in this room are continuing to make and so many dating couples don't realize they're walking in and so many single people are not addressing. 
You're gonna look for your marriage to make up for the wound caused by dad and it's not going to work. What the word of God will do from within you is the authority that Jesus speaks with gives you a new foundation called love. What does that love mean? That means your heavenly father wants to invade your life and go, I love you right where you are. I love you no matter what. And I want this love to fill you from within so you don't walk into a relationship thirsty. You don't walk into a relationship going, I'm empty. Would you please fill me? I need you to give me something. No, you walk into a relationship from fullness and you go, I've already been loved by my heavenly father. I've gotten every Everything I need from my relationship with him gifted to me by Jesus. And so now my relationships are an opportunity for overflow. Now I'm ready to serve you. Listen, servanthood is not a gifting for unselfish people. Servanthood is a byproduct of knowing how much your dad loves you. And when God loves on you long enough, you know what you're ready to do? Spend your marriage serving the other person because you've already been filled from within by how much God loves you. So hear me today. If Jesus is having a DTR with you right now in this space, he is saying obedience to my word, not optional, but he's also saying, am I not enough to tell you how much your dad loves you? He could not have sent you more than when he sent me. Because ultimately you delighting in how much your heavenly father loves you has more to say about Jesus than it does about you. How do I know he loves me? He's hanging on a cross, screaming it, bleeding out and dying. God didn't send Jesus to get more workers. God sent Jesus to get sons and daughters. And the message is, I love you. You know what the message of this is? I love you too much to watch you mess this up doing it on your own. You do it my way, because I'm a good dad. Let's stand to our feet all over this room. I hope you receive this word. I just want us to have a moment to commit to building our love stories on the foundation of the love of God. No other place. Let's close our eyes all over this space. I want to give you once more a moment to breathe in how much God loves you. But if you're married, I want you to think about your spouse. If you're next to him, maybe hold hands even in this moment right now. If you're engaged, would you do the same? If you're dating, if you're single, I want you to think about the future. And I just want Jesus to have an opportunity for you to hand everything about this story over to him once again. Maybe you grabbed the pen away and didn't even realize it until today. Father God, I thank you for the stories all over this room. I pray in Jesus' name that as people are handing over full surrender, their stories to you, their past to you, their future to you. I pray that we with uncompromising surrender would look to your word to change us from the inside out. God, we don't want to build our love stories on any other foundation other than the foundation of your love. So root out what needs to be rooted out. Take Take full control of every single detail and circumstance of what's happening moving forward, God, and do it for your glory. God, we want great marriages and great love stories in this church because we want to shine your glory. We want people to see us and go, they love well because they've been loved well. Help us to believe that our dad loves us. Help us to no longer build our lives on a foundation that's going to fall apart when things fall apart. God, we love you. We build this on you. We sing to you in Jesus' name.